In this podcast, we follow a link from a listener about a course in magic at Exeter University. So stick around and listen to us make a distinction between atheistic magic and spiritualism. It's a good time. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Hey kids, if you're interested in studying the root of spells, as in magical spells, and looking into the history of black magic, you can do that now at a British university, Exeter Well, hang university. on a second. You could always no. do this. You could always do this. But now you can do it formally. Well, and this is a postgraduate course. So this was brought to our attention by one of our listeners. Thank you, listener. It is really interesting. A couple of items to note here. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but there has been a surge of interest in the occult in the last several years. And so part of what the the professor of this course is claiming is that, well, this course is really, it's meeting a pressing need, okay? And also, there are some interesting facets to the course. One of them is to help, quote, decolonize our mindset and to take note of the Arabic and Middle Eastern influence on Western thought and also to kind of reclaim or recover pre-rational ways of thinking or irrational. This is the language that's being used. Decolonize there, We can press into some of those categories. Decolonize rationalism. So one quick observation there, Nathan. What struck me as interesting just from the onset with the decolonizing language and let's basically, you know, the, the language of critical theory here surrounding magic and the occult and was that in its initial instantiations, magic could not have been more practical. Magic mm -hmm. was all about control. And so it strikes me that a lot of the, I mean, this is perhaps a little bit of a speculative thought, but most practitioners of magic down the ages, it strikes me that they would, if, if you were to somehow magically transport them, this is just a silly philosophical thought experiment, transport them to this day and age and... They were somehow, let's just bracket the, the trauma and the shock and the, the inability of the human mind to wrap, it, wrap itself around all those massive changes. Let's say they, they, they're able to take that all in. It's my sneaking suspicion, Nathan, that many of them would basically just say, oh, well, magic is we were practicing it back in the day. Alchemy and elixirs and all that is obsolete. We have all the stuff we need here in a laboratory. We can do more than we've ever, you know, than we've ever dreamed. Mm. Yeah, so well, you see, that's I mean, what I so some of this, th those were always the aspirations of it. Yeah. Well, right, but some of that's not hypothetical because you there are accounts of people who were shaman or witch doctors or whatever who have then changed the way that they see the world, immigrated to the U.S. or something, and 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 and, and what's interesting is I was reading one shaman who said it's interesting how people want us to stay primitive as a people. He's like, we don't enjoy yeah, sure. living with these diseases and, and having food scarcity and all of this stuff. And he's like, people come and study us and then seem like what we're doing is ideal and we're trying to get out of it. And so there's this weird kind of um, nostalgia that we have for a primitive thing that people are trying to overcome their disadvantages, but we see them as good. So that doesn't, to some degree, play into you have those people saying, you know, it's not hypothetical. It's actually literally what you're saying of like, 
why don't you come live like us for a little bit and then see whether or not you think this is a good system? There's that side of it too. So let's let's make a but few. Is this is this Exeter University distinction? This is Exeter University, yes. And it's not a it's not but a let's, degree. Let's make it's a, few... a course within a degree, right? Or can you get I a degree? So. In magic? That's right. Yes. It's just a. I don't okay. believe you can. You're not full. Yeah, full blown degree. No, you probably could. I suppose get a degree in the history of magic or something along those lines. But mm-hmm. but let's make some some important distinctions here. So because you, you mentioned a shaman, for instance. So there are. I think now, granted, the dark, the black, black magic, the occult, all of these various forms of the occult are they're esoteric, and. So that means that getting firm clarity on a lot of these categories is necessarily difficult. Some of these practices are deliberately obscure in nature. So it's, it's just worth pointing that out. There is a lot of information out there, but there's still, there are a lot of very cryptic elements to these kinds of practices. But you could probably, there are, well, the distinction I want to make has to do with how you use this. So there are those who practice magic or the occult or the dark arts, however you want to <laughs> label this, in an effort to to gain control, people who cast spells and do those those sorts of things. Now, we have on record that this... Now, as Christians, we've talked about this before on the show, and this will mess with, with some of you, depending on your theology. The, the question is not whether this stuff is can be effective or whether it can work. It does work, and it can be effective. The question is, of course, whether it's right or wrong at, to at use what cost? it, yeah. and whether you're, and at what cost, and whether you are truly in control. As as Christian men, both Nathan and I would say, yes, it can be effective. The <laughs> any notion that you're in control is purely illusory, and you're not in control. But again, you can look at biblical passages. We've talked about Pharaoh and his his sorcerers are able to replicate some of the results. That are seen there initially. We also have Saul with at the witch, which is quarters in Endor. These kinds of things. So there's yeah. There, so there's the what you're no, saying though hold, is well you're what, so you've got you've got that practices devoted to making things happen or or control. But then you also I would just say the other bigger one would be big one would be the practices of appeasement, where mm-hmm. you have. A keen awareness, and we've talked about this before, a keen awareness of a spiritual realm and demonic powers, what we would recognize as demonic powers. And you want to, you know, basically there's this elaborate system for keeping these evil spirits at bay. This is this is, you know, voodoo works like this and a lot of, and a lot of others. So I think I think those are two Kind of yeah, all the trades on the amulets to, and all the, the counter curses and things you can buy. I mean, there's a whole economy right. in most of the world around um, this preservation and appeasement. I know when my grandparents lived in Ecuador, also food sacrifices at night were a, a phenomenal mm-hmm. part of um, holding the evil spirits at bay and just the percentage of resources that were forfeited in order to, to go through some of this was um, pretty wild. The flip side of that that we don't think about, though, is that how big of a part like of being under spiritual protection, that's a big part of becoming a Christian for a lot of people. So we don't see mm-hmm. that, you know, my, my grandparents in Ecuador would say like how, like just the massive celebration 
that people would have at their baptism of recognizing that they're under the protection of the Holy Spirit now and don't have to go through all these gyrations and stuff to uh, avoid spells and to appease spirits and all of that, that there was this real sense of liberation that came with salvation as a Christian and, and divine protection with that, that, you know, to our more uh, North American ears sounds a little odd, but is a very real part of the gospel and other parts of the world. So there's, there's that whole component. I, you know, maybe to summarize what you're saying there earlier is like, let's say you have a mouse in your house. Um, one way you could get rid of that mouse would be to turn like 15 rattlesnakes loose in your house. That would get rid of the mouse probably. Now, you, you, you have to ask yourself the question, <laughs> is that worth it? And essentially, I mean, maybe it's a little bit flamboyant in the analogy, or maybe it's not, is to say that whenever you're trying to manipulate things spiritually, there does seem to be a parallel there of saying, hey, this stuff works. You'll get the experience you want, and mm-hmm. something will happen, but you've turned something loose that you are no longer in control of, and it is malevolent uh, at best, masquerades as an angel of light, and some degrees, but why would you go that route if you didn't need to? Yes. I think there's, there are a couple of, part of what we want to look at here is why, why this resurgence of interest. So it's worth noting also in passing that this particular, well, phenomenon here at Exeter College is very much of our moment, I think. You know, looking at looking at magic as some sort of a novelty, a historical novelty, something that's very interesting, or also a kind of exotic escape from current Western ways of thinking. In a sense, and I want to I want to speak carefully here because I don't want to be too dismissive, but I can't think of a more consumeristic approach to this. What we were talking <laughs> about earlier, yeah. You know, it's 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 a special course, a really fun course offered in a university catalog. You know, that take it takes you to pre-Western ways of thinking. So, which there's yeah, nothing again, more ironic than doing like that a, in a Western university. Like, if you want to decolonize an idea, don't put yeah. it in a Western. So, there's that, which is hilarious. Correct. And then the other thing we just have to point out here, because some of you will be thinking this is like, what job are you going to apply for that this is going to be a good part of your resume? So, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the career development trajectory here of like, I'm just trying to think of like, what are the future jobs out there that's like, well, you know, you have this this course, this graduate course, so that really puts you ahead of the competition to complete which task? Maybe as philosophy majors, we should have yes. made jokes like that. But. <laughs> well, yeah. So I think on the one hand, we want to, you you, guess, you kind of can't avoid the fact that this is very, you know, you, we may be studying magic, but this is very much magic in quotes and magic on our own terms so far. Well, can you, se- Which like, is, can you separate think, out overall, magic and spiritualism? Y- yes. Because it seems like we're muddying the waters here. Can you, can you make that distinct distinction sure. between what you see as magic and spiritual or religion? Yeah, I think a basic way of, of distinguishing the two, so spiritualism... Broadly speaking, right, the acknowledgement of spiritual reality, spiritual powers, magic, a technique to gain control of life, other people, the elements. So yeah. I'm curious to hear how you how you make that distinction, Nathan, too. Well, because we do use magic so flippantly in the West, I think, 
So there's a sense in which, sure. um, you know, we call it a magic trick when somebody's like, oh, look, there's a quarter in your ear. You know, we we call that magic because it's a, that is a very modern and reductionistic, well, okay, so we use magic and illusion basically synonymously. Correct. Synonymously, yep. And and there is a massive history where that would never be the case, because what what we're doing with our quote athe let's let, how about this phrase atheistic magic. Um, mm. What we're doing with atheistic magic is we're saying, here's an illusion. There's you know an optical illusion. There's some kind of trick to it. It's a sleight of hand. It, it plays on the human psyche, and there's a a perfectly physical explanation for how this happens, and and we call that in a cheeky way, magic, what I'm calling atheistic magic here. In in real magic, everything is mediated. Like, you can kill the rabbit without touching it, but you can't do that without a spirit as an intermediary there. So there's a spiritual reality to the actual outcome that happens. And so it's not that the human has the ability to do non-physical causation. It's that the human has the ability to master the crafts or the arts or cultivate the right spirits or appeasements in order to manipulate or control or um, conjure or induce the spirit to do something on the person's behalf. So that's the non-atheistic magic um, that I would say is spiritualism. So I guess I answered my own question there, listening to you of saying, I would separate atheistic magic from real magic, which I would also see as spiritual. And it's worth pointing out also that this is why a lot of popular atheists are be- are very big fans of sleight of hand and atheistic magic because they see there an example, an illustration of the way human beings are very good at tricking each other. Mm-hmm. And the way we often, as myth-making creatures, you know, like to, I mean, we not only do we buy into a lot of these amazing illusions, we want to believe as well. And so they'll use this as an illustration of the human penchant for, you know, just being an incorrigible believer rather than facing up to reality itself. Yeah. So let me, so I think there would be a temptation in my mind here, Cameron, to say, oh, look, this is just the Harry Potter crew becoming professors now. Um, You know, that generation is now maturing and and we don't need to go down a rabbit trail on harry potter and magic and all that kind of stuff um the reason i think this isn't that i mean kids have been playing quidditch in college is for years now so that whole thing is real and their harry potter festivals and all that which i think is kind of a um a whimsical ability to engage with atheistic be an atheist and engage with the magic I, i don't know exactly what's going on there in all the fantasy but have your cake and eat it think, too. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think this is that. And the reason I don't think this is that is because this is done as a within the Arabic and Islamic studies department of a university. Mm-hmm. So I it's it's not trying to say, oh, here's a fun way that you can wear a robe and customize your wand. Um it's saying let's connect with a different way of understanding the universe that has historical roots. I think. You know, for North American, we would look to mm-hmm. South America. Um, my brother was listening to a guy, so I wish I had the, the name. And he's like, oh, you're going to a witch's conference in Massachusetts. He's like, that's cute. He's like, you do know that all the witches in Massachusetts are JV witches. Like, the professional witches are in South America. So 
the idea of JV witches was kind of sure. a funny thing we were laughing about. It's a funny um, way to put it. <laughs> so we kind of looked to the South, but you know, in Europe, you would maybe look to, um, you know, other parts of the continent for the history of this um, type of thing. And but it, it, so this is where it starts to blow my mind just a little bit. I was listening to something. I think it was the NPR radio program on astrology and astral projections. And the lady was mm-hmm. saying, look, you know, we're in 2023. Um, do you really believe that the alignment of the stars um, has something to do, you know, with your life? And the people kind of him and hauled around it. And they were kind of like laughing at themselves for liking it while knowing that it wasn't really true. On the other hand, kind of be- wanting to believe that it was true. But the sentence was, okay, let's say this is a little bit wonky. But look where rationalism has got us. So isn't it time to retry something a little bit wonky? That, oh, I think, is is where the, the drive for this kind of thing goes. So there's a, a, a perfect storm here, maybe, of atheism has left us high and dry on spiritual experiences. And so we're looking for something that we can participate in that doesn't really have a clear moral ethic to it. On the other hand, there is a continued acknowledgement that we're not finding fulfillment in the things that we were told would bring mm-hmm. us satisfaction and fulfillment as modern humans. And here's an alternative that doesn't have the trappings of religion. Um, yeah. And so it seems like a, a viable option. No, I think that's compelling, Nathan, because I, I also think it's notable that you will you will find a lot of places where, where people will search for alternative answers seemingly anywhere but in the church so oh right yeah well it's the which is another interesting feature right so you, you that that where we're, we don't have to endure the trappings of religion and dogma is a key part of what nathan just said there but this is the the psychedelic so, yeah. thing too this is where psychedelics mm-hmm. come into this also and how do we describe them magic mushrooms they're not magic those have some compounds in them that right. shut down core elements of your brain so that you rewire yourself neurally for some wild experiences. That's not magic. That's mm-hmm. chemistry. Um, but we like, but it has more allure right. if we call it magic. Um, so it kind of plays into whatever it is that I think you're about to say. Sure. And well, I think the, there are two, there are two features here that I think are really interesting on the one hand. Yeah. The, the notion that, well, look at where we're at right now clearly you know rational enlightened approaches aren't delivering the goods and so we need something more there's that but then there's also the interesting thesis it's been around for a while but the recent book and i mentioned this before the myth of disenchantment kind of gives you a history of this idea and a kind of systematic exploration of it but the notion really that We've never truly been disenchanted in the sense that we've, we've, we have a universe that we think is now purged of all transcendent elements. So the gentleman who wrote this, Jason Ananda Storm, argues that, and, and basically, and he, he shows persuasively because he just looks at the history of these different people, scientists down the ages, all of whom were maintained a deep and active interest in the occult. And... We, so, this will make perfect sense, and I don't think this is that surprising if we begin with the assumption that human beings are spiritual creatures and that we are inescapably spiritual creatures, and that those that spiritual hunger and yearning is going to find an outlet and an expression somewhere. 
and I think we've talked before about how this can sometimes find an outlet in romantic visions of atheism where you think of human beings as kind of cosmic pioneers and you know we're we're the rational people in control of our destiny and we have the keys to the universe in our hands and one day we're going to f- have the full transcript of reality that sort of thing that's a of course plenty of people have pointed out that's a kind of that's a species of of religious thinking but i think also you have always had very rational scientists and i think this is what this will challenge some of some of our, our listeners but rational people, quote, rational men and women who are very interested in evidence, who have found some very, very compelling evidence for supernatural occurrences and thought, no, I'm approaching this with an open mind. This is fascinating. Let's conduct some more experiments with this. And, you know, you'll so you'll have brilliant scientists who work in laboratories, but who are also participating in seances. To my mind, Nathan, that's just not that surprising. But... So I think you have those two things going on. You've got a growing spiritual interest for exotic expressions of, of spirituality outside the church, because the church, there's a kind of been there, done that mindset. And also there's a there's a real resistance to, to dogma and, and sort of formal expressions, even though, but ironically, as we've we've hinted, if you really get deep into black magic, there are there is a very rigorous system. It's just, it's just not necessarily spelled out in the same way that we encounter it in, you know, the the rules and regulations surrounding a, a I suppose, a more formal institute. But yeah, I digress. Except for, so here's the the interesting news about this, it, is that when you go down this level or down this trail, the New Testament starts to make way more sense. So it. The New Testament actually ministers better to a context in which people take the spiritual world seriously than anything else. So it's not like um, mm-hmm. Paul encounters a, fort- a a girl with an evil spirit that helps her tell the future or that Jesus' disciples run into a demon and then they have a philosophical conversation about whether or not the spiritual world is real. There's there, there's no like, what <laughs> is a true. demon? Yeah. It's like, here's what you do with it. You cast it out and replace it with the Holy Spirit. Um you know, so like when you, if you're, I, I don't know, there's something to me that's it's taken oddly for refreshing yeah. about it. Yeah. It, there's something oddly refreshing about moving back into a cultural ethos that is more s- similar to the context that the gospels were written in. Um, I think that's really exciting mm-hmm. for the future of the church. Game on. Yes. As do I. So maybe we can, let's, let's shift the conversation a little bit, Nathan. So in that sense, I think there's a powerful opportunity here. I mean, so somebody once asked Peter Kraft about this, in a, and Peter Kraft is just, he's just really good on, in Q&As. He gives very honest answers. And so they said, there's this real resurgence in the occult, witchcraft, so on. What do you have to say to that? And he essentially said, well, I want to agree with Augustine that there's some good in everything. So I suppose it's somewhat refreshing that there's this interest in the spiritual realm, this recognition that there's more to life than meets the eye. That's a healthy thing. That's a good thing, to see the world as more than the sum of its parts. And so he essentially is suggesting we can work with that. 
Now, not everybody is always going to be willing to follow all the way into the arms of Christ, and that's always been the case. That's always been the challenge. You get to the specificity of Jesus, his specific claims on you in your life. But in a sense, Nathan, it does remind me a little bit of Paul coming across the altar with the inscription to the unknown God. In the West, by and large, we love inscriptions to unknown gods because they're vague enough they can give us a little bit of both, right? They can acknowledge the deep-seated human impulse and, and sort of recognition that there's more to life than meets the eye. There's something more. But they also can give it to us on our own terms, if we like. There's no serious commitment required. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always the challenge when we begin to to speak about Christ and his specific claims on each of us. But I think this growing interest in the occult... In, in the spirit world, in these practices, I think this is probably, I mean, talk about some fantastic conversations right here. Talk about some excellent opportunities. Yes, I mean, is it, is it a somewhat spooky to some of us? Is it going to be a little bit threatening? Well, sure, but I think, I think there's, a, there's an opportunity here as well. So there are, there are some, ref- there are some refreshing elements here. Okay, so let me, let me, let's go on a wild turn here and then loop this back in. So for whatever reason, and I do this about once a year, um, I was listening to a Babylon B podcast. So that right from the get go, you're in you're on thin ice. But anyway, so the guys at the Babylon B <laughs> were interviewing JP Sears, who some of you don't know who that is, and others of you will start laughing out loud immediately when I say that name. Um, what's what's his YouTube channel like? Spiritually Awakening with JP Sears, and he's been around for like years now. Um, probably most famous for the how to be gluten intolerant video. Um, and you know, he's got the long hair and the headband and the purple shirt. And he's this, you know, kind of like mock spiritual guru who in more recent years has become far more of a conservative political pundit through his humor and gone in some interesting directions. But anyway, so the Babylon B guys are, um, talking to him and in the course of it, they came across the idea that JP said that he had accidentally become Christian or he was, he was accidentally becoming more Christian. And they said, well, hang on a second. Tell me about that. And he said, look, I was living in California. And he said for 10 years, he's like, I was way deep into the new age spiritualism stuff. And he said, there was a, an idea there that if you were spiritual, you were evolved, but if you're religious, you weren't. And he said, at some point, I just ran out of the back end of that and didn't have, I could see the hypocrisy in that mm-hmm. of thinking, oh, we, we've got this sorted sure. out. Um, and a form of individualism that wasn't really producing anything. So I thought that was interesting. But what he said was, he said, from the place that I was in, the new age spiritualism stuff did me a ton of good. He said it was really good for me and made some really helpful changes in my life. I thought, hey, that's interesting to hear him say in a positive way that this, so, you know, I'm linking here to your craft idea that there's a sense of a a calling and awakening there of the reality of the spiritual world. But... Then what he said is interesting is that we're now living in a time in which evil is becoming clearer. And as you start to distance yourself from evil, the opposite direction, running the opposite direction of evil pushes you further into Christianity, which I thought was an interesting... Hmm. So I would not agree with him theologically on a whole lot of the things he said, and I, I don't think he has it all ironed out in his mind yet either about what it means to be becoming more Christian as if there's a continuum of Christian and his thoughts on what Satan is or would not line up 
was what we would consider the orthodox biblical view of that. However, that's an interesting ball of wax to wrestle with, where he's saying, A, spiritualism did me a lot of good, but evil is now more manifest, and to go the opposite direction of evil pushes you further into Christianity. Does that fit in this at some point in the conversation? But, well, actually, hang on, one more thing. Because he's saying that in a lot of his yeah. comedy shows, a lot of other people are coming up to him and saying, yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of see myself heading in a Christian direction here. So they're not Christians, but they they feel like they're going in a Christian direction based off of their rejection yeah. of other things that are seen around them. How's that work out? Well, you know, let me say all sorts of alarming things here for just a second. I think the Lord works with each of us as we go on our our journeys, and sometimes we're going to take some strange steps. So would I so I would not say with confidence that say new age practices are going to play an instrumental role in moving somebody closer to God every time. Can they and can the Lord use use them? Yes, I think he can for some people. And I'm not speculating on the salvation of of this particular person you're bringing you're bringing up here, but I am saying we we some some of us are you know move by degrees closer and closer to the truth and for some people a recognition and a general awareness of spiritual forces surrounding us even if it begins with oh well the universe is just permeated by some impersonal force that can be a starting point for some people now how you work out the precise mechanics of this theologically is going to be something that's probably not possible for for most of us because I'm going to say something that I return to again and again because it's a paradigm for me and I think we need to bear it in mind. Human beings are mysteries. Not in the sense that they completely evade our grasp and we can't know anybody even though on a philosophical level philosophers do pardon my camera's gone here. Philosophers do re, are, re, wrestle with this when they talk about the possibility of knowing other minds. But just meaning human beings will always exceed our full understanding. And we are spiritual creatures. Yeah, so hang on, you said there's an impossible thing we can't always work out here. And anytime I hear impossible, I'm like, "Ooh, let's give it a try." So so it's impossible to know the ins and outs of how it works, but I think we can know why it works, which is that and we get this modeled in the incarnation. So God becoming flesh to meet humans where they are. And the idea from the beginning of the Bible onward is that God moves first and comes to us where he finds it and like meets us. And so that I think then provides a reason why we shouldn't be surprised when God shows up and meets people in their spiritual searches. And I know a whole pile of other stories of people who had encounters with God while pursuing other spirits or worshiping in other ways in which it's almost as if in obedience, these other spirits felt the need to let the person know, Hey, go, go check this out if you're really pursuing truth. So can God use evil spirits to do his will? Apparently, yes. Um, so I, I guess I'm stuck in between two, two positions here, Cameron. One is to kind of laugh at some of this stuff because on one hand, I really think there are a lot of people who are messing with stuff that they don't understand and that they don't want to get involved in. Okay. That's not the funny part. That's the sad part. The funny part is, is the way in which it's trivialized and then just the hilarity of having this as university courses is great. 
Um, why not? Uh, and then all the logistical questions of what you do with that and so forth and whatnot. But what we what we want to, however you want to process all of that, what you do want to walk away from this conversation with is that if people start having spiritual experiences and are willing to talk about non-physical causation and things that are happening in the spiritual world, um, the Christian response should be, told you so. This is what we've been saying for a very long time. Like, welcome. Um, and so in a way, you're like, oh, what's all this weird spiritual stuff going on? No, this has been like our swimming pool. Like we've been in this ball pit for a long time. Come on in. You need some help in clarifying how this works. But as a Christian, you should not be scared of any of this. You should be able to say, hey, that's interesting that you have these experiences. Tell me about that. And I want to share some that I have too and why I pursue this rather than this. So I think, you know, the line of this whole thing, Cameron said it best, is that there's a phenomenal opportunity here. It's, is it sad? Yeah, it actually is. I shouldn't have joked about it. Like it's, it's real. Um, we don't battle flesh and blood. It's, it's spiritual principalities and darkness. And so read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, with all of this interest in the back of your mind, and you're going to see that you have phenomenal resources for engaging this and that you've been practicing for a lot of these conversations for a long time, maybe without even knowing it. The reason that we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit and not just a spirit or the spirit is because there are a lot of other spirits at work in this world. And so it's good for us to be clear in our prayer um, which God we're referring to and whose name we're praying and making our request, who has the most power and which spirit animates uh, our lives. And so let's not be ashamed of that and lean in with a grin to some of these uh, new old cultural developments. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.